Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monday Night Wars. It is November 6th, 1995, and as always, we start with WCW Nitro, live from the Jackson Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida. As I said, we are live, but not only are we live, we are interactive. You can call one 900 3703 WCW and pick our main event. With me today to talk us through it is Joseph the Money Rojas. Joseph, how are you? I'm good, Scott. How you doing? I'm well. Did you like that better than the body? I like I, I honestly like the body too, but I like the money a lot better, I think. The body, I, I play back the tape because I think you said the body was one of the worst nicknames I'd ever I get. I did. No, 100% I did, but I, it's grown on me since, but I like the money. Okay, okay. Although you, you, you've you used the money for a number of people, so you got to be careful how often you I mean, it. you're so money and you don't even know it. But, you know, I tell you what we can do. The listeners at home can call in and pick their favorite nickname for you, and we'll use it. That's exciting. Specifically, they have to call that number that you listed at the top. Yes, yes. 1-900-3703-WCW and pick Joseph's nickname. Very exciting. You know what else is exciting, Joseph? Our first match. Because we have the Giant versus Cobra (laughs) for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. I have no notes because this match is 16 seconds. Joseph, what are your thoughts? It's it's fine, I guess. The the point of of this is not the match. The point is what happens after the match. The point is essentially because Giant comes in and makes Dave Pinzer, the ring announcer, say that he is the WCW heavyweight champion and that this is a WCW title match when he does not technically have the power to do it. But because of how imposing he is, Dave Dave Penzer decides to do it because he doesn't want to get his head ripped off. So I think that's pretty cool, honestly. I think that gives the Giant a lot of... I think it's a fun move for the Giant for his character. I think that the match is... You know, it's 16 seconds. Like you said, it's literally the match starts, choke slam, it's done. What really is the point of this is to is assert his dominance and then to set up the following segment that happens directly after. You're right. I mean, it's just the giant is a powerhouse. He choke slams the jobber Cobra, whose job is to take the choke slam in 16 seconds. I, you know, I don't think we've actually said anything about on a complete side note, side tangent. I don't think we've ever talked about Cobra's entrance music, and I hate it. It's just the like Morris Cobra yeah, thing. Yeah. It's awful. Stop it. <laughs> There is a fun line that uh, Bobby the Brain Heaton says, which is he says he may think possession is nine tenths of the law. It's ten tenths of the law when that man possesses it. And I thought that was a really fun line. There you go. But you mentioned I'm going to let you I'm going to let you take this because you have hyped the next segment. Take it away for us. You tell us about the next segment. The next segment is Hulk Hogan and Macho Man in Venice Beach. I don't know if I need to say more, but I will. They're both dark now. And Hogan Black the, and white, interestingly enough. Black and white attire. How that that, that couldn't foreshadow anything. We're giving them way too much credit because there's no way they were trying to foreshadow what you're alluding to. That being said, the, the segment starts 
with a a man who is just on the street playing guitar, just looking for a few bucks. And he's created this whole beginning for Macho and Hulk Hogan. And it's very cringy. And Hogan and Macho both cut promos. Hogan keeps, you know, doing his promo of the power of the prayers and the vitamins, which is a new thing he's he's starting to go with. There's a there's a dark side to this. And while this is happening, there is seemingly a homeless man sitting between them who is just spouting off like he's cutting his own promo while they're cutting a promo. It has nothing to do with what they're saying. It's so distracting, but somehow so brilliant. I don't know if he's actually a homeless man or if they got an actor for this. They, they were pretty cheap when it came to not stars. So they totally could have just grabbed a homeless man off of Venice Beach. It is such a what is going on promo. The only the only line in it that I can remember is Macho says, you're too emotionally involved in the situation. You take the low road and I'll take the high. Great line. This gets, I think, the third ever B question mark from me. I love this promo. I knew you would. And I love it because of the homeless man. That guy needs a push. We need to bring him on the show. It's, it's insane, as you said. It is absolutely insane, this promo. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why any of it is happening. There is a homeless person, as you said, just saying gibberish it doesn't it has no bearing on anything it is the dumbest thing the dumbest thing i loved it i loved it i i had to watch it twice it's perfect it, it is art hang it in the loo it's so good <laughs> it's so good after that though we go live to our locker rooms. We, we have our divided locker rooms for our interactive main event. We've got a red locker room and a blue locker room. First up is the red locker room. And let me tell you who's in it. We got Ric Flair. We got Diamond Dallas Page. We got Big Bubba Rogers. We got the Shark. We got Scott Norton. And we got the Blue Blood Sipping Tea. Love it. Uh, Shark and Norton, still not real friendly with each other. Over in the blue locker room, we got Sting. We got the Hacksaw Jim Duggan. We got Johnny B. Bad. We got the Nasty Boys. We got Alex Wright. We got Dave Sullivan. And we got Mr. JL. Out of those two locker rooms, Joseph, who knows who could be the main event? I'm going to assume that the head booker, Kevin Sullivan, and Eric Bischoff knew who the main event would be. That seems suspicious to me, Joseph. I mean, sure, there are only there's only one person in each locker room that I would consider one of WCW's main headline talents. You know, Ric Flair in the red locker room, Sting in the blue locker room. But who knows, Joseph, because this is completely interactive and all bets are off. I disagree. <laughs> I well, don't I think this is interactive at all. I guess we'll just have to see who's right then. So let's move on. Let's let's start moving so we can get to that and I can prove how wrong you are. Because the first, the second match, I should say, the second match, it's kind of the first match because the first match was 16 seconds. But the second match of the night is the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart versus the Renegade. It's a two-minute, 47-second match. The Taskmaster defeats the Renegade. Of note, 
there's a lot of trash talking from Jimmy Hart. He talks about how the Renegade could have been the next Hulk Hogan, but he didn't listen to Jimmy. There's a lot of uh, Taskmaster doing his uh, his brawler kind of stuff. And I, and I have to say, uh, of a show note here, I, I've noticed uh, editing previous podcasts that I often refer to the Taskmaster's previous, Kevin Sullivan's previous gimmick as the Boston Brawler. And that is incorrect. And I have to apologize. I, I keep getting the, I'm confusing with the Brooklyn Brawler, who we've seen several times in WWF. He is the Boston Battler. So I'm probably going to make that mistake a billion times. But just know when I say Boston Brawler, I mean Boston Battler. That is the Taskmaster's previous gimmick. The one, honestly, I think he should stick with because I think he's best when he is kind of this brawler battler type guy. We do see that in this match, which I think is pretty good. Uh, but Taskmaster does end up winning. Post-match, Jimmy Hart throws water in Renegade's face, wipes off his makeup, screams, you're not the Renegade, you're just plain old Rick. Joseph, what are your thoughts on this? So I think I've been pretty hard on Jimmy Hart the last few weeks. I think specifically starting with Halloween Havoc, and then I think last week I was a little hard on him too. I actually like his character work in this. I think the what Renegade could have been, which I don't think Renegade could have been the next Hulk Hogan because you were clearly trying to make him the next Ultimate Warrior, but there is that that you had this high hope for him and it never came to fruition, which honestly is kind of mean because like Renegade is slowly dying as far as wrestling goes. He's going to not be in the company for much longer and his career is pretty much over very soon. So that, that part's kind of sad. That's a retrospect thing. I don't think you could have known that at the time. Also the, you're not the Renegade. You're just Rick. I thought was a great line from Jimmy Hart. The match itself is whatever. It doesn't do anything. There's also, this is, you know, the, the two teams, there's no way the fans in any world wanted this match. So I don't understand the fans have the choices between teams thing. There's no way this was the match. Well, I think that's just, I think that's just for the main event. I think the fans oh, are oh, only really? picking the main event. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that would make a little more sense, even though I still think that's suspect, but they have complete control over the main event. I assure you. Yeah. I, I don't doubt it except for there's going to be something that happens that makes me doubt it. But that being said, the the overall, I think this is kind of a C. I, I think you could maybe grade it a little bit lower. Kevin Sullivan, I think, is very good in the ring. I think we've both kind of talked about that. As much as we don't like his character, we do think he's fine in the ring. Renegade is kind of all over the place. The match is short. Really, the point of it is to put over Jimmy Hart. I think it does that to an extent. I still don't think Jimmy Hart is amazing, but I thought he did some pretty fun things in this, so it's fine. Yeah, it's to show you that Jimmy Hart is a heel. If we didn't already know that, now we know it. You know, I agree with you, though. I, I think that Jimmy Hart was very good in this. I, I Heel Jimmy Hart equals ratings, I guess, because he was very good. My dilemma is I can't get out of my feelings, as you kind of mentioned, Renegade. And obviously, we, we, we don't know this at this point. You know, if we're looking at this purely as, you know, this week in history, November 6, 1995. We don't know this, but I know this, and it makes it kind of hard, this whole segment hard to watch, because as you mentioned, Renegade does, they did push him for a while. He was the, what was he? Was he the television champion for a while, Joseph, I think? Um, he, he he had a I title. That's right, yeah. Yeah, he had right. a title. He had a title for a while. They were pushing him. He was, yeah, you're right, very much an ultimate warrior kind of gimmick. I think he was supposed to be their version of the ultimate warrior. 
But that's over. And he slowly declines into irrelevance. His wrestling career is near over. And he ultimately kills himself not long after this, you know, not to bring it to a downer, but it's, it's very tragic. The whole thing is tragic. And this knowing that this whole segment just made me so uncomfortable to where I admit that it's great. Jimmy Hart for, for purposes of storytelling, it's very good. He did a great job. I thought it was all good, but I just couldn't get it out of my head. What happens to this poor guy? And it just made me so uncomfortable watching it. But on that note, Let's move on because back in the red room, Shark and Scott Norton still having some issues and Ric Flair basically takes over and cuts a promo on Sting who may or may not be the fan's choice for the main event. Joseph, do you have thoughts on this Ric Flair promo? I think this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen Ric Flair do because the lights turn off. Something happened, like a power outage or something. Something happened, and the lights turned off, and almost every wrestler on screen has no idea what to do. And then they turn back on, and they're so confused. Like, do we restart this? And Ric Flair immediately rolls with it. He says something like, lights on, lights off, it doesn't matter, blah, 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 blah. And the only two wrestlers that I've seen who can do this, and I'm sure there's more. So if you if you have an example, feel free to show me. I'd, I'd love to see some great promos. But both Ric Flair and Macho Man have no problem rolling with whatever the problem could be. Whatever just randomly should phase anybody, they will incorporate it into their promo. Macho just did it, I think, the week prior or two weeks prior when it was the fan interfered in his match. I think it was a Halloween Havoc. The fan interfered in his match, and he comes out and immediately in his promo starts talking about how he had a little audience participation. Like those things don't phase him or Ric Flair. And I loved watching Ric Flair have no problem with the situation and just deliver an A worthy promo. Yeah, it's really a good thing that he was in the room because I don't know if any of the other wrestlers in there would have had the wherewithal to just roll with it like Ric Flair did. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's really th- anything more that you can say about it. It was just it was a great Ric Flair promo. He handled it so well. It was fantastic. I laughed as I do at all Ric Flair promos because he's just one of the best in the game at cutting at cutting ridiculous but great promos. And that's where we're at. Back in the ring, though, we got another match. We got Eddie Guerrero. We got Chris Benoit. Of note, I mean, the match itself pretty straightforward. I think it's a great cruiserweight match. These guys don't do bad matches, but of note. Uh, for storytelling purposes, we've got uh, Juice and Thunder Liger and some other Japanese wrestlers and and other you know kind of Japanese promoters and those sorts of things. They're, we're, they're sitting at a table. They're sitting at a table. What's going on with that? Joseph, what is going on here? Eddie Guerrero defeats Chris Benoit, six minutes, 29 seconds. But what's going on here? Well, I think... To start off with, we'll go with what's happening with the whole Sonny Ono, Bobby, the, Bobby the Brain Heenan stuff. They're essentially establishing and using this as the way. This is what I'm, 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 I'm seeing in my own personal watch. They're establishing the fact that that WCW and New Japan are starting to work together again. They've worked together in the past, but to my understanding, before Bischoff took over, all the bridges with New Japan had kind of been burned, and Bischoff really started working on trying to make 
you know, mend those bridges, repair the relationship, kind of use cross talent and all that. So they're making an in-story, it seems to be an in-story reason for these, in the eyes of Americans, these foreigners to be on their television. And so you're seeing people like obviously Jushin Thunder Liger, and you're seeing all these other wrestlers that are going to start taking place in WWE because very soon these guys are going to be in the cruiserweight division. They're going to be wrestling for the U.S. title. I don't think any of them go as far as wrestling for the heavyweight championship, but they have prominent roles. And I think this is kind of trying to establish that. So we're starting to see what this what this relationship between Bobby Bobby the Brain and Sonny Ono is. And it's almost like, because I'm getting your talent in here to wrestle for our championships, I'm getting a cut of what you guys are making or something like that. I think it's kind of cool, to be honest. I was a little down on it last week, but you're starting to see where it's going and I'm enjoying it a little bit more each week, which I think is fine. I think, you know, you don't have to always have a story that makes sense right off the bat. I think we were both a little bit down on it and now I'm I'm with it. Okay, let's see. Let's see what happens next week. Let's see how this keeps progressing. Now, as far as the match goes, I think you hit the nail on the head. These guys do not have a bad match, especially together. I don't know if they've ever had a bad match together. Eric Bischoff reacts to the velocity that Chris Benoit gets with his snap suplex. And that tells me that he listened to our podcast two weeks ago because I was talking about the exact same thing. So good job, Eric Bischoff listening to our podcast benoit hits a lion tamer at some point which i don't know if him and chris jericho would work together at this point i think they might have but i'm not positive but it's absolutely a lion tamer that he hits benoit has the best german suplex bar none some people will say brock lesnar they're two very different ones you can have brock lesnar fine to me it's benoit the match is an a it's a great showcase of talent i would like to start seeing them use Benoit and Eddie Guerrero in a storyline capacity because they really haven't. They're just kind of been using them in a we need a good match on TV, but it's a great match. It gets an A. There's really nothing more I can say about it. I do want to talk a little bit more about the the Japanese wrestler angle, which obviously I think part of this too is that they're building their cruiserweight division, and so they're going to bring in some Jap. They're going to bring in some Japanese wrestlers to help them kind of do that. They're also at some point going to bring in some lucha wrestlers to help pad out their cruiserweight division it's going to be a great division and i'm really excited for it because it's one of the highlights of wcw the thing i thought was interesting though here and this angle you know that we weren't super hot on i think we were super hot on because we had no idea what was going on it was like he's eating sushi he's taking money what the heck's going on now we're starting to see japanese wrestlers are buying their way into wcw they're invading i just i thought this was kind of interesting because in my notes i wrote nwo before nwo and it and it makes me think how many times did they try this kind of invasion angle or something similar to what ultimately becomes the nwo because we have this invasion here i thought it's interesting that this this week we have the locker rooms divided by color we've got the red locker room we got the blue locker room this kind of division between the locker room the talent they're in different like clubs or groups or whatever is this the beginning of them kind of trying the idea for what becomes the NWO or am I reaching too much? What do you think? I don't think you're reaching too much. I think there's definitely been some stuff that we've seen in really just the first few months of WCW that I would argue kind of fall in, into line with that. Lex Luger jumping ship is a huge one because there's the whole outsiders angle on top of that. 
is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? We don't know. It's kind of a conspiracy. What could happen? They've been doing this paranoia angle with him for a few months now. And that when NWO takes hold, that is going to be one of the biggest facets of it is the use of paranoia. Can we trust anybody or is everybody going to jump to the NWO because they have the money sting? Obviously his storyline is he with the NWO or not? These are all going to be huge things. So even though they're probably not full on going for the NWO, there definitely is some, some parallels that I think you can draw in some of these angles that maybe they haven't quite put it all together yet. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of different angles here that they've been trying over the course of gosh, it's only been really two months. After that, though, Joseph, you're not going to believe this. This is going to shock you to the core. I hope you are sitting down for what I am about to tell you. The fans have voted. The interactive vote has been tallied. And tonight's main event is Sting and Ric Flair. I am shocked. I didn't expect the fans to do this. It's completely out of left field. I think that goes to show and prove that the fans had a say in this. No one would have booked this match if not for the fans. No one would have booked this match or what happens at the end of it. Also, when Sting had his chance to cut a promo beforehand, he already mentioned he was going to face Flair. We don't talk about that. So how how could he have known if the fan votes? Because he was shown the vote, Joseph. He saw the vote. He knew the way it was trending, okay? They had a live tally in the locker room. Everyone was watching it. It was very exciting, and you're ruining a beautiful moment. You know what's a beautiful moment, Scott? This match that's coming up. Let's talk about that match, Joseph. Oh, my God. That was a segue. We got Sting. We got Ric Flair. It is for the WCW United States Championship. And let me tell you about it, because there are some things you got to know. Flair hits Sting with a foreign object, but he styles and profiles for too long, and Sting breaks the pin. Sting gets him with a Scorpion Deathlock for the win. It's a nine-minute, 42-second match, but Sting won't release the hold. The referees can't get him to release the hold. It takes the entire blue locker room to get him to break that Scorpion Deathlock, but then he hooks it again. Finally, Lex Luger shows up. He wants to talk to Sting. And Sting lets go of the hold. Joseph, break this whole thing down for me. There's so much to talk about in this. First, Sting is wearing all orange and black. It gets a B plus for me. It's fantastic. By this point, he's starting to abandon the jacket completely. I think next week he's not going to wear a jacket either. So that's kind of gone from his his ensemble. As well as his roots continue to grow out. That's huge because that's going to be a big thing in the next year or so. There is, I don't know if it's possible for Sting and Flair to have a bad match together. I know we just said that about Benoit and Guerrero, but there's certain people that are going to be tied together forever. Sting and Flair are two such people. When you think of Ric Flair and his rivalries, you're going to think of Sting. That's going to be the first thing that pops in the head. You could argue people like Dusty Rhodes his relationship with the four horsemen. You can definitely argue other people, but Sting is the number one. And the same thing goes back if you if you talk about Sting. The number one rivalry won't be his rivalry with Hulk Hogan. It's going to be his rivalry with Sting. Or sorry, with Ric Flair. There's a reason for that, and you see it in this match. Their chemistry is unbelievable. Everything they do has... I, I don't want to be one of those guys who just says it has a point. 
but really they're they're absolutely telling a story in the ring. I love that Flair is somebody who arguably the greatest of all time. Not saying he is, so let's I don't want to get into that argument. But you could make absolutely a case one for of it. them though. Absolutely yeah, one absolutely. of them. Absolutely. In the pantheon of greatest of all time. Correct. And you have him continuously willing to put people over. And he's really putting over Sting in a huge way here. Because once Sting starts just going at Flair, because there's moments that lead up to this. There's moments before Sting just loses his mind. A great example is Flair has a lock on Sting and has his legs on the ropes for leverage. And it's for like eight years. Somehow the ref doesn't see it. It just keeps happening. So Flair is just cheating constantly throughout the match. Then he has the foreign object and he cheats with that. And that still doesn't bring Sting down. And Sting finally just gets to the point where he gets over the edge and he's so done with it. You cannot stop his fury. And I love it. And he beats the holy hell out of Flair. Like you said, he locks on the Scorpion Deathlock and he won't let go. It is fantastic. You have multiple people coming out trying to get him to let go. He still won't do it. Then he he does. He finally goes, okay, I'm letting go. He walks out of the ring, takes a few steps out of the ring, then turns uh, turns around back to the ring and runs back in and puts it on again. I mean, it's a whole transition. This is the dark turn that they have been teasing for weeks for Hulk Hogan. The constant, I've gone to a dark place, but Hulk Hogan's never gone to a dark place. He's done nothing that's dark except for put on black clothes. It's kind of the equivalent to Spider-Man 3 when Tobey Maguire just throws his hair down in his face and you're like, oh, he's evil now. That's kind of what Hogan's done. This is a real dark turn here, what Sting is doing. You actually go, is this guy a heel now? And it gets cemented by Lex Luger, who has just turned heel and is notably best friends with Sting coming into the ring. And he's the only person who can kind of stop Sting. And then they walk out together and the announcers put this over huge talking about why are they walking out together? Is he joining the dungeon of doom too? what's going on? And it leaves this air of uncertainty. It's a fantastic segment. It gets an A from me. It's wonderful. Sting and Ric Flair is one of the greatest rivalries of all time. I mean, so much so that, you know, in AEW right now, you know, Sting is has announced that he's going to retire. He's going to wrap it up. And who comes to AEW to support Sting in his retirement? Ric Flair. So I think that shows you just how everyone, I don't think there's a discussion that this is, that these two guys have one of the greatest rivalries in wrestling history. And it's because they put on great matches over and over and over and over and over again. This is just the next chapter in that. I thought this was handled really well. It's handled from a tech. It was great from a technical standpoint. It was great from a storytelling standpoint. A lot of levels here. Great match. But that isn't the end of the night for us. Because after that, we've got Mean Gene in the ring with Jimmy Hart, the Taskmaster, and the Giant. And we find out something here. Jimmy Hart tells us that he put a little stipulation into the Halloween Habit contract. It's, it says Giant, even, even if the match ended in a disqualification, Giant wins. And he wins the WCW World Heavyweight title. Giant's the champion. I can't believe it. But 
Okerlund tells us that the WCW attorney's got something to say about that. He's got final judgment over this whole thing. And it turns out the Giant is not the world champion because of how the disqualification took place. And the championship will be awarded to the winner of the three-ring, 60-man battle royale that is World War III. Joseph, make sense of this, my friend. It's wild. It is wild. I think this is probably the only segment that I genuinely disliked of the night for WCW. I think Jimmy Hart, all the character work that he did in that first segment, I think it's undone here. It's just kind of, he's just boring. And he says power of attorney like 17 times. And it's like you said it the first time. We already got it. You didn't have to say, you don't have to beat us over the head with it. And the whole point of this segment essentially is to set up a main event for World War III. That's really the whole point of it, is to say, we're going to put the title on the line at World War III. And the reason I say that that's the whole point of it is because you have this interesting idea. I do think it's an interesting idea of because of the stipulation in the contract, which is a very common thing that wrestling will do. You didn't read the fine print of the contract, and it actually stated this. I actually love that kind of angle. I think it's great. You have the title rightfully belongs to Giant based off of the stipulations in the contract. So right there, I think that's interesting. I think you could have just ended with that segment and just another kind of, oh, woe is me, downfall of, of Hulkamania. It can't get any lower than this. He's not even the champion anymore. I think that would have worked just fine. And I think you could have then the next week said, you know what? We've come to a decision and that decision is that we're going to hold that you're going to defend that title at this match. I think that would have been fine, but instead they combine it and only do they combine it. They also strip him of the title and, and their whole reasoning is well, because of the way that you got disqualified or the way that it was a disqualification, that's why we're stripping the title. And it's like, well, again, legally he's the champion and you can't strip it for disqualification because it said if he gets disqualified, the title still changes hands. It doesn't make any sense. Like they just kind of went over themselves on it. I think it would have been way more interesting if the following week they said, hey, you are the champion. You're absolutely right. That is your title. But you're going to defend it at World War Three, And here's how. I think that would have worked way better. I thought it started off interesting and just completely derailed. I give it a C minus. Yeah, you could have said something like you're, you know, you're the last entrant in World War Three or something like that. And if you get pinned, if you don't end World War Three, win World War Three, you lose the title. Would have been fine. It would have made perfect sense. It would have been a great swerve where I'm sure, you know, Kevin Sullivan, all of them are like, what? Oh, no, we've been bamboozled. It would it would have been good. It would, it, the fans would have eaten it up. It got it got too complex. It got weird. But we needed to hype World War Three. And this is how we did it. But that's it for the night for WCW, Joseph. Anything more you want to add before we move on? I think just overall, I'd give the show a B plus. I think it was a really fun show. Yeah, not a bad show. Not a bad show. But how does it stack up to WWF Raw? We'll find out because we are again with WWF Raw in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. We open with Ahmed Johnson. This is a, a recap of last week when Ahmed Johnson slams Yokozuna. It's in very impressive. Uh, people loved it. The fans went wild. So they're showing it to us again because it was pretty impressive. It certainly elevated Ahmed Johnson as uh, an impressive wrestler. 
We also have Vince McMahon and Doc Hendricks tonight on the commentary team. That's interesting. Anything you want to add, Joseph, before we get into it? No, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, except for I will say Doc Hendricks is really fun on commentary. It's going to be a recurring theme over the night. There you go. Should be Doc Hendricks on the commentary table, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first. And speaking of firsts, let's get into the first match of the night. We got the British Bulldog versus Marty Giannetti. During the match, uh, Clarence Mason, attorney to Camp Cornette, appears. We put him on split screen. He tells the fans that he's secured a title match for the Bulldog against the winner of the Diesel Bret Hart match at Survivor Series. This match, the Bulldog versus the winner, will be at the next In Your House. Other than that, we got a lot of chin locks, and the British Bulldog defeats Marty Janetti. Joseph, tell me more about it. So there's a lot of interesting things I noticed in this particular episode. They're going to be trends over the night. The first one is obviously because these are usually recorded ahead of time, much like this podcast. Uh, these episodes are usually recorded ahead of time. They add things to them to make them seem, I don't know if I would say more interesting, but just kind of add an effect. The The number one that I see the most, or at least hear the most, is piped in crowd noise. So Marty Gennady comes out and the crowd really doesn't lose it for him, but the noise would make you think they do. And we're, you're going to see this throughout the night. I think over the next week of raw as well, especially because they're not live. They're adding crowd noise and it always sounds the exact same. And I, I understand why they're doing it. Cause they're trying to make it seem like people like the product way more than they do. But it, it is kind of jarring. I don't know if, if in 1995 you could have noticed that. Obviously, you don't really have the ability to just be super analytical the way that that we do and really just kind of look at things over and over and over. So that might be, you know, this may just be a retrospect thing. Now, as far as the match goes, Janetti actually does an eye poke, which is normally a heel move. And this is another trend that's going to happen over the next night to few weeks where some of the faces start doing heel moves, but there doesn't seem to be an actual turn involved. They're just kind of doing it. So he does an eye poke. That's a heel move. Clarence Mason has a moment where uh, he comes out and he he's on, I think the picture in picture or something and assures that the British Bulldog will face whoever wins between Diesel and Bret Hart. I think that's great. I think Clarence Mason is fantastic. I enjoy when he comes around. Marty and Bulldog honestly have really good chemistry, I think, in the ring. I think the match is itself very good. There's a moment where Bulldog rolls away from Marty Jannetty's fist drop, which is usually how Marty Jannetty ends the matches. And he rolls out of it, and you think, okay, here it is. He's going to he's going to win right, right away, but he rolls out and immediately gets caught into a DDT and it looks really, really good. It was a really nice spot between the two of them. Bulldog hits the power slam. He wins. The match gets a B. But on top of that, you just kind of touched on it a second ago. Doc Hendricks on commentary is a huge upgrade over Jerry Lawler because he offers insightful commentary as to what's going on and it actually enhances the match. The only knock I would give him is because him and Vince are both faces. 
you don't have that balance the way you do on WCW, where you have someone who is supposedly non-partial with which is Eric Bischoff, even though he very clearly supports the good guys. And then you have Bobby the Brain Heenan, who is very clearly a heel and is able to support the bad guys and offers a nice dynamic. I kind of wish that either Doc or Vince was a heel in this situation, but they're not. And but together they sound way better. So I, I yeah, I, I enjoyed Doc Hendricks on the on the on the mic on at the commentary table. But what I enjoyed even more, Joseph, was we have a special guest. We have a very important visitor tonight to WWF, and it is the president of the United States, William Jefferson Clinton. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Clinton is here tonight. WWF Raw. He tells us about the United Nations and how WWF is basically the United Nations because they both bring the world together amazing endorsement from the president of the United States. Isn't it Joseph? I think it's one of the greatest things ever. The fact that they were able to get him in and definitely not a poor representation of an impersonator. Phenomenal. I thought it was great. Whoa, Joseph, are you implying that this is not the actual president of the United States, Bill Clinton? That would be a narrative, Scott, and we don't make narratives here. Yeah, I think it is. And, and you know, and if it isn't, it's probably one of the president's body doubles. So it's basically the president. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. After that, though, we got we got an interview with the British Bulldog and Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette is telling us how the Bulldog is going to win the WWF title at In Your House. Not I don't feel like there's much more to say than that, Joseph. It's it's a pretty standard Jim Cornette promo. Nothing to nothing negative to say about it. You got thoughts? I do actually. First off, it's great. Just like you said, it's great. It overall, would get a B from me, mostly because Bulldog segment isn't that great. But Cornette does a really interesting thing where he points out that it's not Gorilla Monsoon's decision to do what's right by British Bulldog. It was forced upon him. And again. Jim Cornette and Clarence Mason keep doing this thing where they're heels, they are bad guys, but their reasoning is almost always right. And you're like, damn, that's a really good point. And I thought this was a really good job with it. He also puts over the wild card match excellently and, and how he thinks it's going to be a, a catastrophe because of all the you know dynamics that you have. I think that does a great job. And then Bulldog comes in and Bulldog says, I think his opening line is, that I barely broke a sweat with Marty Jannetty and he's drenched in sweat. And it's like, no, I think you broke quite a bit of a sweat there. So it's it, that part is whatever, but overall it got to be for me. It was a lot of fun. I think it's really good. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty clever uh, storyline that they're doing here. After that though, we got Barry Horowitz. He's talking with Hakushi and Brett Hart backstage and Brett is trying to convince Hakushi that they're going to fight as a unit. What do you think about this? There's really not much to say. It's a very quick segment. I think it's fine. You're just trying to talk up the the, the main event that's coming up. I think it's okay. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It, it wasn't as fun. I, I'm enjoying the, the Americanization of Hakushi with Barry Horowitz. It wasn't really that. I think they just had to have Barry Horowitz there because they're doing that. You know, because we have this match with Brett and Hakushi that I, I okay, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense to me. I, I, we're, we're, we're doing this thing with Barry Horowitz and Hakushi. It should be them doing something, but they're not because we have to continue. We have to, for some God unknown reason, continue the Bret Hart, Jerry Lawler, Isaac Yankin, DDS storyline. So that's what we're doing. Okay, whatever. 
After that, though, we get some footage of Bam Bam Bigelow. He wants a match with Goldust. This was on Superstars that this that this was uh, this footage is from. Uh, we're told that Bigelow and Goldust are going to meet at Survivor Series. And it's going to be a quote unquote special attraction. Take that however you will, Joseph. All I know is I can't wait. Two good wrestlers should be a good match. Yeah, it's 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 worth hyping. After that, McMahon highlights some of the recent tensions between Hunter Helmsley and Henry Godwin, and that leads into our next match, where we have Henry O. Godwin versus Terry Richards. It ends in a no contest. Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, comes from behind, jumps Godwin, gives him a pedigree. Triple H puts some white gloves on and pours the bucket of slop over Henry O. Godwin's head. Tell me about this match and its aftermath, Joseph. So to start off, Terry Richards, who he's wrestling, that's Rhino. So I think this is the second time we've seen him in WWF, which is cool. Vince, at the very start, Doc Hendricks makes a joke and Vince goes, ha, ha, ha. So there's that. Uh, There's a moment where actually Vince, Vince actually has a really, really nice line in this where he says they're opposites in almost every way. He's talking about Hunter Hearst Tumsley and Henry O'Godwin. They're opposites in almost every way, culturally, politically, and aromatically as well. I thought that was a really nice line. It, it, it's a bit of an insult to Henry O'Gavin, or maybe it's an insult to, to Hunter here. Sounds like, cause he's been talking about how his perfume smells horrible. So maybe it's an insult to him, but I think it's a great line. Also while writing that note, I decided to just write just to make it easy for myself. I decided to write HHH like a triple H kind of thing to make it easier for Hunter or Sumsley. I don't, I don't think that means anything later on. Do you No, not at all. I have actually been thinking about that because Currently, his name is Hunter Hearst Helmsley. It is not Triple H. And I want to say Triple H because of the convenience of it. Yeah. I'm like, should I can I just can I just say it or do I have to keep saying Hunter Hearst Helmsley every time? So I wrote that. And then also, I'm really glad you brought up convenience because also for convenience, I decided to do the same thing with Henry O'Godwin. And I just realized the whole point of his name is that it spells hog. You know, I've never noticed that. I love this character now. It's so layered. <laughs> I was I was so disappointed to realize that, but also kind of impressed. So there you go. Uh, at some point during this match, Vince then on commentary does this again. <laughs> so he does that again. And then, as you said, everything just kind of unfolds as it, as it unfolds. I think commentary does a great job in this. I think, again, the two of them on, on the mic together, they're a lot of fun. I think they do a great job. I think they're putting over the storyline. I think Hunter Yers Helmsley doing his stuff is continuing their storyline. The storyline makes sense, even though it's a little gross and I'm not super in love with it, but I understand it. I think the two men are doing a great job going back and forth. It gets a B for me. It was actually very entertaining. I, I thought I thought it was just fine. After that, though, we got a Survivor Series promo, Joseph. And important news, Undertaker and King Mabel are going to go at it in an eight-man elimination tag team match. The Undertaker's got his dark side team. It's going to be Fatu, which kind of doesn't make sense, but okay. Henry Godwin and Savio Vega. Mabel's team, the Royals, are going to be Jerry Lawler, Isaac Yankum, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The Undertaker and Paul Bearer promise that no Royal will survive. And Diesel tells us 
that he will prove he is better than Bret Hart and retain the title. What did you think of this promo, Joseph? Honestly, I, th- I thought it was fine. I, th- I, I gave it a C. There's nothing really to write home about. The whole point of it is just to say this is what's happening at Survivor Series. And I thought it did the job just fine. I thought the Royals lineup makes more sense from a booking perspective. Jerry Lawler, obviously the king. Isaac Yankum, not so much, but he's part of the king stable. So whatever, it makes sense. And then, and then Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who is an aristocrat. I think the the Royals make sense. The dark side team is a little weird, you know, because I mean, obviously Undertaker's the good guy in this. He's the face, but dark side, you know, denotes evil. And Fatu is not an evil character. He's like the, you know, he's, he's, telling inner city youth to stay in school and don't do drugs. And Savio Vega is a good guy. He's colorful and he's fun. And I don't think he's supposed to be a bad guy either. I think he's very positive. Henry Henry Godwin is really the only, I guess, heel. But then again, he's also a heel or is he not a heel? I don't know. Maybe maybe he's supposed to be a face. I kind of took him to be a heel. He, but He's, but he's kind of a face at this point, especially yeah. with what they're doing with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. This again is that they don't have a very deep roster, so they got to they got to use what they have. And so make it work. And that's what they're trying to do. But that isn't nearly as interesting as, as what comes up next. And this is perhaps the most interesting thing of the night, the most important thing of the night, Joseph. We have pogs. And you can get a thousand pogs and two gold slammers for 21 bucks plus shipping and handling. Joseph, how do you feel about this fantastic deal on pogs? That honestly may win raw for me this week. Because you love pogs that much. Pogs were fantastic, man. A thousand pogs for 21 bucks and you get two slammers. So again, imagine if, if we ever get people who are under under 20 to listen to this. Imagine explaining to them the concept of pogs. Yeah, you know, thinking pogs, yeah, in and of itself is even now I have trouble kind of explaining what the heck we were thinking, right? I mean, all they are is circular pieces of cardboard with images on them and then you had these metal slammers and the slammers are just they're just circular pieces of metal you know they also have some kind of logo or decal or something on them and you would just stack your pogs i don't even i don't even know if there were rules i mean the way we played it was you'd stack your pogs and you'd like throw your slammer at your stack of pogs and the pogs would explode you know they'd they'd go flying and the ones that ended up face up you got to keep I don't know if those were the rules. That's how we played it. It seemed like it was kind of a choose your own adventure thing. I don't know why this, they were so hot. Everyone had to have pogs. It was a big deal. And I, I'm kind of baffled in hindsight that this was such a big thing. And think about the marketing that they had because pogs had licenses with everyone, DC, Marvel, Star Wars, WWF, WCW, baseball, football, basketball, every single medium you could think of, there were pogs made for. It was like the early Fortnite. That's how I'll explain it to kids. It's the early Fortnite. Yeah, it was huge. It was a cultural phenomenon. And it's in, in hindsight, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, I'm like, that's weird. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a weird one. Why were we so into that? I don't know. Marketing, very, very powerful stuff. After that, though, we showed Ahmed Johnson slamming Yokozuna again. They think that this is a, I mean, it is. It, it was impressive. The slam is impressive. Yokozuna is a big guy. So Ahmed Johnson slamming him like that is impressive. WWF apparently thinks so too, because they keep showing us it. Also, Joseph, if you call 1 900 737 4WWF, you can hear Razor Ramon tell you about his match next week. How exciting is that? 
That's huge. And I believe that number is still active today and you should absolutely call it. We got comma. We got Tony, Tony Roy. And we got a phone call from Shawn Michaels to talk about his, his wild cards match at Survivor Series. Comma defeats Tony Roy. Tell me about it, Joseph. I, I had a, a note on this that I kind of found interesting. And this, again, I've, I've talked about multiple trends that we'll see. And this is another one of them. Two weeks ago, we had a 20-man battle royal to open the, open the night. I believe that was two weeks ago, right? Yes. Okay. 20 man battle royal of of essentially mostly WWF talent. There were a few kind of jobbers that they bring in once in a while, but for the most part it was WWF talent. And now we're we've already had two matches that are squash matches with essentially local talent even though they're not really local. Like what happened to all those other guys? You had those other people, even if they're not the biggest names, like you couldn't have had like comma versus Savio Vega or whatever. I don't really know what the point of this is. I think it's to get over comma. It's a squash match to make him look good, I guess. I don't know. Really, I think this segment more than anything was for the Shawn Michaels bit, which is kind of unfortunate because I think you could have just done that as its own segment. I, I love the the calling in thing, but I think that could have been fine as its own segment or you could have just had a, a much more interesting match going on. I'm not sure really what the goal was. My favorite part of this whole thing, though, is when Shawn Michaels and Vince hang up and Doc gets mad at Vince for hogging the phone the whole time because he wanted to talk to one of his favorite superstars. And I actually laughed. And I have a note that says, me too, Doc. Me too. Overall, the great is a D, though. Doc was shooting, man. He was speaking for everyone. They want to call that hotline. They want to talk to Shawn Michaels. I hear you. After that, though, also important, we got the smoking guns. And they've got karate fighters, Joseph. And Billy wins. And if you want to add to karate fighters or should we move on? I love karate fighters. I hope it lasts forever. Karate fighters is sponsored. Milton Bradley is sponsoring Survivor Series, right? So we're going to get karate yeah. fighters at least until Survivor Series. Very exciting for us, everybody. Very oh, yeah. exciting. Man, I wonder if they do. a. I wonder if they do a thing with Crossfire. Remember Crossfire? God, I hope that comes up. Do you remember Crossfire? I do not. not what is all. wrong with you? I'm not gonna, as old as you. I'm going to cut this part because you embarrassed yourself. <laughs> But what doesn't embarrass us is the next match. Just kidding. It does. Because we got Isaac Yankum, DDS, and Jerry Lawler versus Bret Hart and Hakushi with Barry Horowitz. Of note, we get two Jerry Lawler pile drivers. Bret gets the sharpshooter on Yankum. Jerry Lawler goes for the chair, but Barry Horowitz yanks it from him. He gets caught. And get and he gets Brett and Hakushi disqualified despite not hitting anyone with it. Isaac Yankum and Jerry Lawler defeat Brett Hart and Hakushi by DQ. I bet you got thoughts about this, Joseph. Why don't you share them with me? I do, and honestly, they're not very negative. I think you're, you're expecting them to be be very negative, but they're not. Some of them are. For instance, my very first note, which is that this rivalry will never end, so that's negative. Hakushi's handspring elbow is fantastic, though. I guess I just never paid attention to it until this match, but it was really, really fun. I thought it was great. He goes for it a second time, both times on Isaac Yankum, and the second time Isaac Yankum actually catches him and clotheslines him in the back. I thought that was really good in-ring storytelling. Like, you've gone to the well too many times. I love that. Again, we have a face cheating, which is Bret Hart. He cheats a little, where 
I think it's Isaac Yankum gets stuck in, in the, his corner and the ref's distracted and he starts wailing on Isaac Yankum. And again, it's like, okay, so are you turning heel? This is the same thing as the Marty Jannetty thing. Again, another weird trend that we're starting to see. I think that uh, there's a moment where Isaac Yankum catches Hakushi outside and slams him into the ring post. That is pretty brutal. I thought that was really well done. The in-ring action is really nice. Like you mentioned, Jerry has his great pile driver. Then he showboats. Then he hits a second great pile driver. It looks great. Brett, the hitman heart has a beautiful Russian leg sweep. Again, another move that I just kind of took for granted until I watched it in this match. And then I really enjoyed it. Then he hits the scorpion death lock and he's got it on Isaac Yankum. Then, like you said, Horowitz saves Hart from a chair, but the official thinks that Horowitz is the one who had the chair, so he disqualifies them because he thinks Horowitz is up to no good, even though it's Barry Horowitz. Like, what what no good could he be up to? The match itself is is I think very very well done. I think the I I think it's weird that you ended on that disqualification because all that tells me is that this storyline's not going to end, which I I'm begging someone to make it stop, but they won't make it stop. And that means I'm going to have to see potentially another match with Jerry the King Lawler's mullet, which is really gross. And I guess that fits. So maybe it's perfect. I don't know. Overall, the match is a B, though. I thought it was fine. I love how you ended that. You got you got so like down and then you came right back up. You came roaring back, but it's a B. <laughs> I'm pretty down on this match as you you rightly assessed when I asked you your feelings on it. And you're right. It's the match is good. Like I, I love a good Jerry Lawler pile driver. He has one of the best pile drivers I've ever seen. So I get two of them. So I'm very excited about that. Brett does a sharpshooter. We, we, we check all the boxes. I hate the DQ. Not only do I hate the DQ because it doesn't make sense because no one actually gets hit by the chair. There's nothing, there's nothing DQable about what happens. So that's stupid. But also what's stupid is that as you rightly note, that means we're not done with this. And we need to be done with this. Remember when we had the cage match and you were like, I think it's done. And I said, oh, no, Joseph, it is not done. We still have to live with this for weeks more. And here you have it. It is still going on weeks later. And it's going to keep going because it they refuse to stop. And it needs to stop. But you know who else needs to stop? Us. Because we're running long on time. So I'm going to stop it there, Joseph. And I'm going to ask you, who won the Monday Night Wars? tonight so i gave raw a b i thought they had a very strong show but i gave a b plus to wcw so they they squeak out the win i thought both shows were entertaining they had some lows but i thought the shows were entertaining so i gave it to wcw yeah i think you're right i think wcw won this one but i think it's very close i i think both were okay right we're kind of in a low point for wcw where it's not the showstopper that it was when it first started. We're kind of in a low point till we get to uh, very exciting developments that are coming soon. Not that soon, but hopefully sooner rather than later. So they're very comparable. And in that respect, it's it's a close it's a close competition. But I think WCW irks it out a little bit. I mean, the Stingray Flair main event was great. We got Eddie Guerrero. We got Crispin Wall. That was great. Uh, you know, even the Taskmaster Renegade match was fine. I think the Taskmaster, I think Kevin Sullivan is a fine wrestler. That was fine. Uh, the the giant sixteen second match, if you can call that, it's just to it's just to push a story, and they did it very quickly. So whatever, I can't fault them for it. So yeah, I think WCW wins. They didn't have Pogs, which is a certain is certainly a black mark against them. Hundred percent, but it was close. But how close was it, Joseph? Tell me them ratings. 
So raw, we said last week was dropping. That was mm-hmm. a trend. They were continuing to drop at 2.1. They bounced back huge to 2.6. Meanwhile, WCW got a two even. So they probably were like us watched last week, said it ain't it ain't it at WCW anymore. I'm going to go see what what uh, they're doing on WWF raw. And they flipped over because we gave it to raw last week, even though WCW won this week. Raw wins the ratings, but we think WCW won the night. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Monday Night Wars. As always, I'm Scott. With me is Joseph. Have a good one, everybody. See you guys. Hey, everybody, it's Joseph. Did you like this podcast? Well, we hope that you did. And also that you join us every Monday for new episodes. You can listen to us on Spotify, and soon we'll explore other platforms to bring you episodes of the Monday Night Wars. Did you listen to this podcast and think, hmm, pretty sure they're wrong about that? Well, let us know. You can email us at mnwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's mnwpodcast at gmail.com. And correct anything we messed up. Don't worry, you won't bruise our egos. You can also give us suggestions, follow the show, or even just reach out to us on the following platforms. On Twitter, you can reach us at M-O-N Night Wars Pod. Again, M-O-N Night Wars Pod. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can reach us at Monday Night Wars Podcast. And finally, if you feel like supporting this podcast and also getting bonus content, you can follow us on Patreon at Monday Night Wars Podcast. For the low price of $2 a month, you get every episode of the Monday Night Wars and also every breakdown of every WCW and WWF pay-per-view during this era with more content to come. Again, and one last time, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We'll see you next Monday back here on the Monday Night Wars podcast.